Welcome to Everyday Animism, a weekly podcast exploring all things animism, particularly how animism impacts everyday life. The podcast is hosted by Kelly Harrell, Brandis Schnabel, and Janet Roper. Let's dive in. Hello. Hello. You're always here first. You're so speedy. (laughs) How are you? I'm not on fire. Uh, I think that's good. Mm -hmm. That'll work. I'm not currently in flame. At least not literally. I'm not either. And I've been able to actually enjoy it. Like not Mm -hmm. being in flames and actually able to acknowledge that fact and enjoy it. That's great. I know. I know. It really puts perspective on all the rest of the time when it is just kind of not like that. <laughs> You're not on fire and you don't have time to notice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're missing Janet again. What where, do you th- where do you think Janet goes during this time where we invite her and she doesn't appear? I don't know. There's some back alley of the internet. What's she doing back there? I don't know. Selling bitcoins? What do you do in back alleys of the internet? Sell sell bitcoins? Get arrested, prob- I guess. I guess if there's back alley internet cops. Well, this is a great episode already. It really is, yeah. I mean, it's very creative. It's very creative. I never doubt our ability to be creative. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm keeping this. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna reinvite Janet. So I will see you in a minute. Okie dokie. Well, hello. Bye bye. I'm here. <laughs> How are you? I'm not on fire either. Mm. This is good to know. I know. Doing. I know. Yay! Janet. Yay! I made it. <laughs> Yay! I think the I figured out the issue, which is that you have two anchor accounts, and I was inviting the wrong one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so the other Janet is really pissed off right now. The one with yeah, the icon really. appears to be the one you're not logged into. So, um, I invited both of you this time, and just decided whichever one would show up would show up. There you go. <laughs> I think I need to go into anchor and clean things out. Then, thanks for the heads up, Brandy. Mm-hmm. I need to clone myself. That's a good idea. Yeah. Get some more shit done. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like your clone is doing much, Janet, because she was invited to this party and she didn't show. She's busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was doing something else. I don't know what, but, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I'll catch up You'll with her later and ask out. her. Yeah, you're going to find out. Yeah. We, we were hypothesizing on this matter, uh, which I am keeping in the podcast when you when you were not here a minute ago. You know, I'm loving that this podcast is starting out with the the mystical "Where's Janet?" Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. What's so, <laughs> uh, this week we wanted to uh, discuss art and animism. Um, I was thinking about this just in terms of creating things and uh you two know this uh, but podcast listeners might not know that i do national novel writing month or uh, nano rimo 
every year uh, during this time of year. I started in 2002 and I've been doing it ever since. So this is my 17th year. And um, I have been thinking a lot about how that has evolved in my life and become like this, that process and November for me have been so drastically changed over the years. And it's become this huge part of yearly ritual for me. It's a space in which to create freely. Basically, you create a, write a novel in 30 days is the quick, you can go to nanorimo.org. I'll put a link in the show notes. But um, I've just been thinking a lot about how having a month during the time when a lot of people are frantically winding up for the holiday season that I'm already wound up in this creative way that's a lot of fun and I'm spending a lot of time with other people, um, that it really adds a lot to my life. And the creation of that art creates space in which I've met other people who are dear to me. And I've also created this routine that sort of protects me in a way from getting launched too quickly or too early into the holiday season. So... The, uh, the two of you have been thinking about in terms of art and the animism? I always think in terms of the healing story because it's, it is everything. It is everything that makes the human mind work and grow and change. Mm-hmm. And it is quite literally how our brains actually developed. Mm-hmm. If you look at anthropological sort of slash animistic origins of art our original theater was watching animals it was watching nature and wildlife and it was learning to recreate what we learned with each other and in learning to recreate that with each other we learned to read things like facial expressions and body language Mm -hmm. and when we learned to read those things we learned how to use them in a way that tells stories. So I have told a lot of stories. I have, Mm -hmm. I think I've published seven books under my name and more under another name. And I, I really think that I would have lost my mind without writing many, many times. I have a writer's brain and that it is, the filter for all of my life but at a deep shamanic level the faculty of the healing story really is the arc of our existence in that we we look up and realize there is some component of our lives that isn't working well and there's usually some sort of stress around it it isn't working well what do I do I don't have the skills where I am in usually in your birth family and so that means that you've got to get them from somewhere else which means you've got to meet people and be social which means that you run the risk of more tension and more crisis but in that adventure of meeting new people and learning new skills you actually gain allies and tools which you then learn to apply to whatever the issue was that caused you to leave your familiar to start with. And when you apply those tools, it's sort of like your, your golden ticket is delivered. You realize what you needed. You finish the initiation 
And sooner or later, you have to bring that back home. You have to bring that back to the people that you left to go find and complete this personal mission. And that's Mm -hmm. when things get really interesting because we've all experienced how when we grow, the people that originally knew us don't accept it. They can't see us in a changed light. And so there's this added nuance, this sort of cyclic nuance of writing your story, presenting your story, and yet this dire need we have to hear each other's stories, to witness each other's art. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about art, uh, yeah, it's, you know, writing, which is a huge part of my life too. And, but also, um, you know, more conventional art, painting, all that kind of thing, things that are considered crafty, um, taking photos, singing, music, all of it. I think everybody has that in them. And it's interesting because when you were talking about you know, we learn from nature and from animals. And it made me think, um, <coughs> is art a specifically human thing in terms of the way we think about it? I was just thinking about the thing that we do that we call art, the creating, the telling stories and the relating to each other and processing, you know, we process joy and pain by expressing it in all these different ways. What does art look like for non-humans or is it a specifically human thing? There are pictures and books done of um, paintings done by elephants and cats, um, by horses. There is, um, and actually one of the books, it's really cool. I think it's called Why Cats Paint. And Mm -hmm. it's beautiful and it's showing all these cats and how they're walking on the paper and doing everything. And um, with horses actually with elephants too, I've seen where they've played the piano. And it's nothing like, you know, what we would as um, humans necessarily categorize as music, but the fact that it is a a creation that they are doing at that moment in time, I find really fascinating. My horse Shiloh, he loved the violin. I could take my violin out there and play to him for hours and he loved it. He loved to teach it, uh, to um, feel it, to touch it. He loved to Mm -hmm. run his lips across it, make sounds on it. And by the same token, he hated the drum, which I found very fascinating. And I think it was the smell of the the animal hide of the drum that he didn't like. Um, But it was really fascinating to watch him go between the two instruments and show the one that he preferred. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And yeah, it's, I always think about art primarily as a way of, as my way of both expressing myself to other humans and also understanding other humans better myself. So it's interesting. And, you know, I did see a video the other day of a dog kind of like swaying and kind of in a Mm -hmm. trance listening to Mm -hmm. music, which was... It's interesting when you expand it beyond what all art already is, because it already is something so enormous. Like, like Kelly, you were saying, like it, it's a component of our healing. It's a component of how we feel seen. Of inspiration. 
Mm-hmm. Right. The whole mechanism of the healing story is that it's shared. Like everybody thinks it's the whole trial of, you know, of realizing you you have to leave your familiar, you've got to get out, you've got to do new things, you've got to meet your goals and then bring it all back. And But really it's sharing it with other people and, and, and usually in such a way that you don't even notice sometimes that you're sharing it that other people pick up on it and they go, damn, I could do that. Or I have done that. And they don't realize it. They don't have, they don't understand the value of their own story until they hear someone else tell theirs. And that is the, the, the impulse behind one story heals a village. I think when we're talking about art and stories and writing, um, one of the human concepts is that it has to be quote unquote good it has to be perfect but that's not the point of it at least from my perspective the point is expressing yourself however you need to in whatever way um, you need to express yourself in whatever way it needs to come out and that's what I find fascinating about the the creation process is that it comes out in its own way and it takes on a life of its own and I, yeah. love, I used to do stamping and uh, making cards, that kind of stuff. And sometimes I would just purposely um, do something that I thought mentally was kind of crappy. And then I'd go of the mental thought and let it work its way out and do whatever that creation needed. And it was amazing how some of those creations came out and just looked so different than how I had judged them when I first started the creation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, when we look at, art animistically that's where you start to understand that as you're creating something it becomes its own entity and then it's a collaborative relationship so like um and that's how I think of you know like with NaNoWriMo you know you're creating what you create in a month's time is a rough draft you've purged what you have in you and then you've created this thing that then the two of you work together to create a refinement around here I put you out in the world what do you need let me smooth your edges let me um, tweak some colors you know switch some words that kind of thing and I think when we view our or when you're writing music or when you're playing music I remember um, I played trombone for a very long time and you know the first time you would sit down and play a piece of music it was a bit of a mess and it was kind of junky and you would figure out you know where to adjust speed and how to adjust tone and where do you need vibrato and that kind of thing. And when you think about all of that from an animistic perspective, it is like a relationship between you and the instrument, between you and the thing you're creating and the sound you're creating. And also the composer. Mm -hmm. What I found fascinating when I was playing professionally, I mean, I cannot tell you, how many times I've played Beethoven's fifth, okay? Mm-hmm. And when I look back in hindsight, because at the time I was much younger and I was just doing it because it was a gig, you know? But when I look back in hindsight, each time I played it, the the piece took on a life of its own because it was different people playing. It was a different atmosphere. There was a different conductor. And so each time I played it, the piece was a new piece, even though it was the same music that Beethoven had written. Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing that there are, particularly with music, it happens with books. It happens every now and then 
with a TV show or a movie, but, but, you know, just these components of story, whatever media they're delivered in, they just blow you away. And, and I think in some ways for me, it's more poignant when it is a classical piece that has no words. Like it, it has very few sensual handles. And nonetheless, there are certain pieces of music that I hear and they just reduce me every time. Yep. Yeah. I, it's funny because, I mean, you both know I, I posted on Facebook a few days ago and it came out of a conversation I was having um, with someone around, you know, what are those albums that you listened to over the years where you could literally sing every single lyric to every single song? Because we don't always like you don't listen to every right. album that much. You don't listen to every piece of music that much. And when you as a musician, we're all three have played music you don't have that sort of resonance with every piece, but I can think of specific things that I've performed in different points in my life. There's a specific arrangement. Um, this like a symphonic arrangement of the Irish song, Danny boy, or that might not be the actual name of that song. Um, it's called Irish tune from County Derry. <clears throat> it's a very specific arrangement and I played it in honors band in high school. And then, um, my college band played it and there was one other time that I performed it and for some reason that arrangement of that song it makes me cry when I'm performing yeah. like I get yes. I get yeah. fearful when I'm mm -hmm. performing it there's something about the way it's arranged and the song itself and um it really yeah it just like blows me away it's like it's on the same it resonates with something in me that feels familiar and I feel the same way about certain albums where it's like that, you know, some other artist accidentally yeah. tuned into my frequency to a degree that's like painfully poignant. Yep. 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 Katie Lang's song, Hallelujah, does that to me. Mm hmm. And I think like uh, there's one of the, two, the first two Mumford and Sons albums that I have said for a very long time that album is my church. Yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah. whoo, I just expand on the inside listening to it. Recently, I've gone back way back down a, uh, a Fiona Apple um, rabbit too. hole. I have too. Gosh. <laughs> I forgot about her, but just in the last week and a half, I've been actually mm -hmm. capable of reconstructing playlists now. Mm -hmm. And oh man, her voice. Yes. And there's, I think with her too, I was thinking about this, you know, gearing up for this um, podcast too. Like I was thinking, what is it about her? And it's like part of her voice, like channels. Have you seen her? This, yeah. God, she is. Like, if, they're, if they're like method musicians, she is one. Yeah. She, she mm -hmm. acts, she, she looks like she's hurting herself. She is so merged mm -hmm. with her music when she performs. Yes, she's like, it's like, and she's channeling like every one of her musicians or songs or those things that are like that for her. Mm -hmm. Like she's offering us as the audience that same thing, but it's like she's channeling the people who are that for her as well. When she sings, when she covers songs, it's like breathtaking. I think there's a channeling from the cosmos too that goes on with that. Mm -hmm. That's above what we as humans experience. Beth Weingarner 
wrote an essay on that called The Shaman in the Arena years mm-hmm. ago. And that's exactly what she's talking about when when musicians just seem like they're not only capable of tapping into that force the way you described it brandy but they're capable of tapping into the the people you know in that Mm -hmm. in that audience immediacy kind of way and and giving it back to them and the simultaneously feeding off that and and just making this space enormous and full yeah and i think there's there's something about that that is like true channeling because you're bringing something before you through you and you're actually giving it forward into the person receiving it and I I mean in some ways all art is that is where you're taking everything you have been given and taken in yourself it's coming through you and then you're imparting it in a way that adds you into that mix into that you know woven cord of a million things I cringe over the word channel just because the new age has ruined it oh I think of it I think of it as shape-shifting and in this case shape-shifting in a way that the the borders fall away Mm -hmm. what we would normally see as our individual self which I don't even relate to the words that just came out of my mouth but you know most people think of themselves as an individual that just kind of moves through things but it seems to me that through art, that's part of the boundary that falls away in a healthy mm-hmm. way. It is a place where you are connected to everything around you, to what, you know, whatever the influences in the yeah. song and the artist and whoever's dancing with you and just all of that, the boundaries of individuality fall away and they, they either become or realize this other completely unified force. Mm-hmm. It's always there but we're not trancy enough to get to it without the art. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're conductors in those moments, like as in like electricity, not orchestral, but like that we're amplifying something bigger than us. Like you hear, if it's music, we're like a speaker for something. And if it's writing, I don't know, we're like the billboard. What did you say, Kelly? It was like the edges fall away. And I like that Mm -hmm. you used the word shapeshifter. I I really like that instead of the channeling. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I'm playing music, it's like the borders fall away and I'm not in the real world. There's a loss of time. I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea how much time has passed. All I know is that I'm involved in the the feeling of what's coming forward and I'm not projecting that feeling. It's more like I'm riding a wave with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems a little harder, at least as I, I don't know if it's because I've gotten older or because I have young kids or my life is busier or life itself is just busier, but it it seems like it's harder for me to connect to that than it used to be. I don't make the space for it. I used to make intentional space to dance every day to music that I adored. And I I haven't done that in a decade or more on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. An amazing thing about the creativity process, you said that, you know, you create a time to dance. And to me, that would just be like, oh, I can't do that. That's, that's, not my, that's not my gig. That's not what I do. 
So I find that it's interesting that it's different strokes for different folks, literally. I have to say, I can relate to like anybody, I think. But when people say they don't like music, I, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, you know, people say, I don't really like to read. I'm like, yeah, I get that. Or I don't like to watch TV. I get that. Or I'm not a painter. But when they say they don't like music, I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> what does that yeah, mean? Tell I me. <laughs> I don't understand. How, how do you not like music? I mean, I can understand that for some people, there are sensitivities involved and frequencies. And, you know, I can I get that it can be sensually overwhelming. But there's such a range with music. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. No, I feel the same way. I Like when you ask someone, I mean, I do kind of struggle with you ask someone what's their favorite book and they're like, uh. I don't know. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I've known my favorite book for like my whole life. I know. And I loved it so much. It's never changed. Mm-hmm. Like it's nothing, you know, I knew. Um, but then, you know, when you ask people, what's your favorite band? I don't, the answer, I don't really listen to music is always like, eh, that does not grok. Well, it so- doesn't compute. <laughs> what about this perspective? You know, what about the whole imaginal world building component of fiction like how does that fit into your animism that could be all other episode but you know well i um i have told you to this but i feel like sometimes the past couple years with um nanowrimo when i'm writing um a couple years ago NaNoWriMo was during the presidential election. So like my novel evolved into this very intuitive, it was almost like I was writing a journey as I was, as a, like a shamanic journey as I was experiencing it. It was like, not just me writing. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like I was creating something that wasn't just creative, but was also something beyond that. And this year, um, you know, I've had some tough stuff come up and the same thing has happened where I've realized that what I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally writing a novel within my shamanic upper world. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like as I'm writing it, it's happening to me. And in on that scale, like it is world building or it is it is something outside of just a story and it is something just out, it's outside of just fiction and that's just for me. But that translates into something bigger when you think about people who have a massive audience and are creating right, much right. more elaborate right, right. things. And, and they, they change the collective conscious with, right. with, with, I started to say with synthetic things, but with imaginal mm-hmm. things. And You're creating and I, culture. Yeah. And I can't help but feel like it is big commentary on you know what what we need and where we've been and where we're going where we need to go because so often people can hear that in fiction when they can't hear it just straight as like a list of okay no you're screwing up here and this is what you need to do to fix that but they can handle it when it's a metaphor Mm -hmm. and I think that's where when you get into art that is uh and I think A lot of times it's fiction or it's, um, you know, television and movies kind of fall into this category of like you're creating fiction, but it is a commentary 
that really falls into that whole like art can heal Mm -hmm. the collective because it isn't just someone sharing their story they're offering a story that can be all of our story or or can impact all of yeah, our stories. options. Mm-hmm. It's very large magic. I mean, it's, I think it you're is. creating yes, creating a very very big thing. And sometimes I don't, you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Right. Or it's you know that's well, like I was gonna say, you know, the big ones. There's the sci-fi, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, but then you've got you know, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, there's this, there's a, a danger of getting lost in all of them, you know, to let it be yeah. escapist. And, you know, and I think, you know, we dally with that as a culture anyway, but mm-hmm. there is still rich territory to, to work with those symbols and, and their, their beings that become created that can still teach us about what is going on in our culture now. Maybe that's what gods always were. Yeah. And it, it also speaks to where even in imaginal spaces where some, you know, sometimes the artists can still be stuck in narratives that don't have to exist in purely newly imagined worlds. Like um, I remember watching someone online on Instagram, like on their story, it was, I think it was sometime last year, decided to sit down and watch Game of Thrones. And watching her initial reaction to it was really interesting because she was like, this is a purely fictional world, completely fictional. It it had the capability of being whatever George George R.R. Martin wanted it to be. And he still wrote in just massive amounts of misogyny. Right. Exactly. And like men in power. And it's like. Exactly. And and I don't think it was in a way that was intentional for him. I think there are some ways in which he pokes at it, but he pokes at it within having created. Yeah. Reestablished it. Yes. Patriarchal setting. You didn't have to do that. That's always been my feeling around relationship configurations. Everything. Well, not everything. We're we're breaking away from this some now, but we have the opportunity to completely redefine gender and orientation and relationship and commitment. Those concepts for me, oh my God, another love triangle. Are you kidding me? We haven't figured (laughs) that out yet. Yeah. Yep. And it says in that in and of itself tells another story, right? So you're yeah. creating, you're creating this one thing where you're telling a story. Okay. And that is in and of itself a commentary, but what you're not able to step out of and create something new around tells a story about you. Yes. And that also tells a story about the collective, about how right. you, even in creative space can't step out of certain narratives that are still so deeply entrenched right it becomes all in the family it becomes Mm -hmm. this collective all in the family yeah god i hated that show i was little and i hated that show (laughs) wow yes yeah i think we just went really meta with this conversation (laughs) Well, I'm like, I don't know how to wrap this one up. We just went like into the stratosphere. Somebody else needs to bring it into like a manageable thought for the day kind of thing. I think it is in the stratosphere. And that, that's mm-hmm. the whole point of art being an animistic exploration. It is without limits. Mm-hmm. Any but limits. also accessible. I right. Think, like 
I think it is our access to the stratosphere. And each one has our own access to it, regardless mm-hmm. of how that comes out to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think like you were saying, Kelly, about, um, you know, sometimes telling our story, writing our story, um, our story offers people the opportunity to see someone who's, you know, maybe survived something that we've survived or seen us, you know, we get to show people a one way out of things, but sometimes showing people that's another thing I like about this time of year for me is sometimes just sitting with 12 people at a coffee shop from like, we have 12 different professions and 12 different levels of interest in writing. And we're all sitting down and doing something, creating something. Every year I end up triggering someone to think a little bit, even if they just think about it, about the fact that they could write that much if they wanted to about anything they wanted to, and no one may see it, but I've still, that, that still occurs that the story for me is that I sit down once a year and I write a story and that impacts other people's ability to believe they could do that mm. without being, um, ugh, the first author I just thought of was Danielle Steele. <laughs> Why? Do not invoke that name. I'm oh, so sorry. Quick, quick so somebody sorry. say something else. Oh, shit. The podcast is a dumpster fire. I've ruined it. Now it's on fire. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not fine. What is, um, what's the. What's Let's the just go with hole? Alice Walker. Let's just invoke Alice <laughs> yes. Walker. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah, we can do that. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the flashbacks. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, art is in the stratosphere. In all its forms, music, writing, whatever, making a mess that's pretty. Um, I think it's sometimes the author gives us permission to find a character within ourselves. And the one that is coming to me is Samwise Gamgee for some reason. Hmm. That when we're reading that, you know, we can identify with that character and go, yeah, that's me. I can do that. Is that your favorite character in that series, Janet? Oh, that's a really hard question, Brandy. You reference him a that. lot. I mean, the reason the, the reason yeah. Brandy asks that, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. The reason Brandy's asking you that is because <laughs> you reference him a lot. I mean, anytime Lord of the Rings comes up in our circles, you almost always mention him. Mm-hmm. Oh, see? See, it's being reflected back to me. I wasn't aware of it. This is so exciting. I like this. I guess he is. I think he is. Yeah. We don't need no facial expressions. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I love art. I love you guys. You ladies. You people. You you ladies are just so awesome possum. (laughs) Just majorly so. (sighs) I wasn't sure what was going to become of this episode. I think it's going to be one of my favorite ones. Aww. I love talking about art. Oh, no. This one and the one that we did on travel, it was one of the first ones we did. That's, that was another one of my favorites. Where I was parked in my car in the middle of West Virginia. Yes, that. yes. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, I hope everyone listening uh, finds some inspiration to go 
go dig out some of those albums you know every single word to that was a really nice that was a really nice journey for me this week yeah or make something or find something uh feel free to message us and share with us what are your what are your albums like that or what's your piece of music that kind of sends you into the stratosphere that kind of thing I would love to hear and uh, we will see you all next week. Thank you. Thanks y'all. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you'd like more information on Kelly, Brandis, or Janet, or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, get some more information on our resource page. You can find all of those tidbits at everydayanimism.tumblr.com. See you next week.